I love my city, I hate where it's headed. I love the art, hate the way it's peddled by overzealous developers selling it. For TD, Bemo, Bella, the tell us of the benefits of old white fella. The rich condo settlement developer telling us profits are part of community betterment. A huge infusion of douchebag is medicine. This town needs an enema from Toronto, pronto. More glass and condos, we'll need more grass, greenery, scenery, some cool pop-up boutiques and the pastiche down this street. Will you please get the poor people out of the picture? Cause the rich have got to get richer. A $6 taco could fix it. A pitcher of blueberry weed ale piss. And I'm sick of pretenses of good intention. Like profits and not the raison d'etre. Like real estate's a charity venture. Improve community for new renters. From spots with good jobs and pensions. Expensive. My peeps feel the tension. Rents increase, stupid. To the roof and the ceilings leaking. Landlords are evil. Part man, part piece of feces. Believe this, real estate's full of the greedy ECTEV type peeps Thieving from the poor, they've been stealing it Drink the tears of the folks that are grieving these Eviction, cha-ching, the system Gentrification, colonization All of the blatant ways, they just take it Displacement, that makes a payday Cause more pain equals more gain for them What's your shared space? Social innovating, placemaking, place been making What's your incubator? Incubating invaders, expensive taste, erasure. It's a new start though. Monsters barfing, latte art foam. It eats homes, neighbors, its favorite flavors broke and predisposed. Torrenos, demos, constructos. The process needs more cops though. Cops on horses, cops that use force on folks in the. You're listening to CFRU 93.3 FM radio. The International Institute for Critical Studies and Improvisation, also known as ICE, in partnership with the Guelph Jazz Festival and the University of Guelph, will host the Guelph Jazz Festival Colloquium from September 12th to the 15th. Titled Hovering at the Edge, Words, Music, Sound, and Song, this event features curated panels, speakers, and performances, with participants riffing on the interplay between language and music. The colloquium will present an interview with Dion Brand, a keynote presentation by Brent Hayes Edwards, and expert panels on jazz poetry as well as several artist talkbacks accompanying festival concerts. The colloquium is all ages and free to attend and will be taking place in various locations on campus and downtown. For more information, visit GuelphJazzFestival.com or pick up a festival schedule at various locations. Don't miss the Guelph Jazz Festival Colloquium September 12th to the 15th. This event is physically accessible. to Home, an eclectic mix of Canadian music on CFRU 93.3 FM. Thursday mornings at 7 a.m. with your host, Tom Rydell. I'll make it easier for you to get up and greet the day. Close to Home, Thursday mornings, 7 a.m. This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Boundaries, McQueen, Belle de Jour, Puzzle, and Eighth Grade. 
And at the E-Bar on the 21st is One World Rising, Stories of Vasudeva Ride. On the 24th is an End of Summer Beach Party. And on the 25th is That's My Drag. The Bookshelf is an independently owned bookstore, bar, music venue, movie theater, and restaurant located at 41 Quebec Street. For more info about the Bookshelf's hours, listings, blogs, directions, accessibility, and to order books from their online store from anywhere in the world, please visit bookshelf.ca. As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. On today's episode of Android's Dungeon, asymmetric warfare... Insurgents, counterinsurgents, but they're cute. And extreme violence, a little bit of the old ultra violence. Stay tuned. Welcome to CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting out of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario campus. I am Jack. And I'm Joel. And this is Android's Dungeon, a show about board games, movies, music, whatever happened to us when we walked in the studio and it probably upset me. But It's a political show about Google. <laughs> it's a political show about Google. We were just having a conversation about, um, Joel, what is YouTube Premium? Uh, well, <laughs> you just told me, but apparently uh, now you can finally close your phone and keep listening to music. A feature that seems like, you know, basic. Yeah, because every other program I have on my phone, aside from YouTube, can silence itself or turn off or you can look at something else. God forbid it, it, you if look at another browser. If you're playing a song on your phone and you blank the screen, does your phone stop playing the song? No. Only YouTube. Only YouTube. It's, but you can now pay. Oh, so you're saying it's not a hardware limitation. Pay up. You know what YouTube pre- premium goes for? Too much. Don't care. <laughs> yeah, money. <laughs> it could be 50 it's cents and I'd say too much. Yeah, so it's like, I think it's $14 or something, or maybe it's seven ninety nine. Either way, it's less than 20 bucks. I'm pretty sure. Uh, but any, from my cold dead fingers. You could get Netflix for that, probably. What is Netflix a month anyway? No idea. Mm. Um... A show about games, as we've said. Joel, what have you been playing recently? <laughs> well, I've been playing what you've been playing. I've been playing a heck of a lot of Root. So, before we go any further, let's talk a little bit of a Root. Uh, if you listened, and you should have, to our previous show with friend of the show, confirmed friend of the show, Harry, uh, when he was at Gen Con, Root was, I guess, one of the hottest games at Gen Con, aside from Forbidden Sky, which uh, I'm not going to talk about too much, <laughs> because it's atrocious from the sound of it. But it's got batteries, Jack. It's got batteries, just like other games from the 80s and the 70s and uh, the 90s that are goofy. Joel, break down what Root is for the Android's Dungeon audience. So Root is a map. Think of a map of uh, a beautiful little forest. And the concept of Root is it is what is called an asymmetrical game. I would say an asymmetrical war game. combat game. Yeah. But yeah, it's... Not necessarily entirely focused on combat, but it is a very... Hey, guys. Whoa, sorry. Hey, guys. 
Um, <laughs> but basically what you're going to do is you're going to have a race of animal, say your cat, your bird, your, uh, your little woodland critter, uh, just trying to make it in this crazy, crazy world. Or you might be, as in Jack's case today, a little raccoon that runs around and sells things to people. Yeah, you're an opportunist. In exchange for the win- winning the game. Um, and then what you're going to do is um, you're going to try to get to 30 victory points. First to 30 victory points wins. You gain victory points by doing whatever it is you do, which is really the key of Root. Because uh, one race does not gain victory points in any way similar to another race. Yeah. So you need to know what you want to do and do that. So, for example, if you're cats, you want to build a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're birds, you want to get a lot of bird roosts. If you're the vagabond raccoon uh, traveler guy, you want to have no idea. How do you win? The raccoon's all about making friends with people and sort of like being self-sufficient. So you're trying to, you approach each of the factions and you give them cards. And if they have any items crafted, you take those items. So ideally there should be a lot of table talk. And the game, for the record, the game should be tons of table talk, I think. You shouldn't just be sitting there silently sort of, because you want to be, as the raccoon or the vagabond, you want to say, Joel gee, it'd be nice if you crafted something because I've got all these bird cards for you, but you're not seeing a single one unless I see an item. So what do you think, buddy? And other times you just want to give people stuff because it helps you. But yeah. Hey, how about you move over there so I can walk over and... See, that's another part that I didn't even consider, too. Like, move over here and I'll help you next turn. But uh, yeah. anyway, so it's... Did you go through all the factions? Have I played all the factions? No, no, in your description. Did you go through Oh, them? no, there's also um, the cute little Woodland Rebels. The Woodland who, um, Alliance. I guess they don't even start on the board, but they basically go around with pamphlets and stir up dissent. Yeah. Uh, like a little little baby communist. Yeah. And um, where once there's dissent in an area on your turn, you can go ahead and bust down the door, remove all the enemies in that area, and set up a base. And that's how you kind of become part of the game. Yeah, so it's, like Joel was saying, asymmetric warfare. Each of the factions does something completely unique to the others for the most part, and that you want to play to your faction's strength. So the cats are all about, and interestingly, the the game was originally, I think, designed around, um, I think it was Afghanistan. It was going to be something like that. And then people took a step back and said, do we really need another dry war game? Mm. And I don't know if it was going to be a coin game or what. Uh, But then they went, no, let's reinterpret this. And we have a cutesy woodland theme of different animals in this kind of Redwall-esque universe fighting over this this, this land. So it was going to be GMT's Twilight Struggle 2. And then they thought, hmm, what theme could we tack on this to make it more accessible? Probably, yeah, closer to... um, a distant plane, which is a coin game set in, I yeah. think, Afghanistan. <laughs> so it's like mm, maybe if you really want to up the ante, you could go there. But yeah. uh, and you can do one. Of, you can look at it and you kind of think if you keep in mind that it was originally, I think, envisioned at least in the designer diaries as an Afghanistan sort of simulation. You can look and say, all right, who's the government? Who's the Taliban? Who are these other factions? Like, what what are these people supposed to represent? And you can kind of play yeah, it. Like kind of starts to make sense. You know, you can think of like a okay, that maybe there was a foreign power that's been pushed out, and that's yeah. the birds. And then you've got the Americans who are just everywhere, yeah. exploiting the resources, which yeah. is wood in this case for, um, you know, their own construction. And then, of course, you've got the rebels. Yeah, and like I, I guess the vagabond would just be sort of like the profiteers, the people <laughs> yeah. just like in the, the mercenaries. region, the mercenaries, right? So, but you don't want to dive too down in, too hard into that because, in general, it's just a cute little game that is 
deceptively deep that I think a lot of people might look at and say, oh, Root, look, at it. it's adorable. Like the artwork alone is probably going to grab so many people. And I don't know what sort of person is going to pick up the game at the end of the day. And, and are they going to be tricked? Is it, <laughs> do you think it's a, a, a trick game? You think that they're like, oh, Woodland Critters, let's go. Yeah, and then this thing like, oh, they're fighting. They're fighting for things. And people well, think, oh, there's, gonna be, there's dice. Look, there's dice. Well, it's not exactly food chain magnet where you pick it up and you're just stumbling across the rules for three hours. Like, it is very accessible even in the functionality. Like, it is a war game, which... Yeah. In principle, is sort of a mid to heavy game. Yeah. But I wouldn't consider it a heavy game. The game runtime, even when we're teaching it, is 40 minutes. Yeah, how long did the game take that we when we played it? No idea, but it wasn't very long. No, it, it goes quickly. And I think that just like how many other games we know, the biggest hurdle is getting the first game done and kind of understanding what you're doing. Exactly. But I think the bigger problem with um, when you get into a game like Root is that you have, because everyone's faction is so different, so what that you think you understand your faction? There's still three others out there that, up to potentially five others, that you don't necessarily understand how they're working totally, exactly, unless you yeah. really know this game. We haven't played two of the factions. We haven't played all the factions ourselves even yet. We've only yeah, played it three times. Maybe our first criticism of the game, if we're talking about how good this game is, mm-hmm. one of the downsides is um, typical fashion. They've taken a game and they've built the entire thing. And then they've thought, okay, what can we shave off and sell separately? So they've taken the fifth and sixth player, they've chopped that off, there's two additional races, and to be fair, maybe they wanted the price point of the original game to be 45 US, which is not too bad. So now they're selling the game, and they're saying, and if you also want, you can buy it. But in that case, it's not an expansion. It's like, do you want the rest of the game? That's the part that I agree with you, like hundred percent, with on this. Is that what, it's in the rules? Here's the the main yeah. thing. If it wasn't in the base game rules of these other two factions, then I would say okay, the, it's completely. It, it is still you don't need these by any stretch, and we haven't played them, and maybe we will play them and say, oh no, these are essential. But yep. as it is, based on what I've seen, I don't think I'm sitting there saying, no, this is missing something right now. It's not clicking. But in the rules, it's like the, I think I've told you before. The first time DLC ever hit me in the face <laughs> was when I played Dragon Age Origins for the first oh, time when and it you came come out. up to that gate. And you, 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 the first time you get to the camp, there's this guy over in the corner, and you look at him and say, okay, I'm going to talk to this guy. And he says, adventurers, help me. My family's keep in the north has been attacked by giants. I need your help <laughs> to get it back. Buy it. I said, what? <laughs> what? I just... $30. The game just down. came out, and you're trying to yeah. sell me something immediately. It's not as bad, but it's. I think it's starting to become, and this is a Kickstarter thing, do Kickstarter games need expansions out of the gate? And a lot of games, like let's, a lot of Kamon games are bad for this, like Rising Sun yeah. came with a bunch. I haven't even played Rising Sun yet, but it's there. It's like th- there's another three boxes that came with the base game. You're saying <laughs> out of the gate this was something that you play tested and works. So this was all additional content that you got because you Kickstarted because it? Because I Kickstarted. you can now probably purchase it separately? You can purchase it on the side. And it's is it essential? I don't know. It, it remains to be seen. Sometimes I just like to see... Okay, so what what's it going to cost with the expansion included? Sixty bucks. Give us give us root as is, yeah, and then say here's root light you can buy if you can't afford root, and, and then you yeah. can buy the rest of it. And I, I think you're starting to see, it, and this is this is getting into another discussion. I think about Kickstarter more than anything because there are two different camps. There's the Kickstarter exclusive camp that. Um, uh, people that are if you back something on Kickstarter 
you feel entitled to get something that yeah and you get angry when it's it's purchasable when, well not even purchasable it's it's that why why did i take the risk or shoulder this when i bumped the per, i gave you money way in advance of this game maybe never coming out but some guy who sits at at home never takes the risk doesn't back it doesn't give anything it makes the store and he just gets it all or maybe gets it on sale too there's been mm. some cases of stuff coming out on sale like instantly on things which is a little chintzy on the other on the other hand you look at it and say you just backed it because you believe in this and you're interested in it why do you care if somebody else gets mm, whatever yeah. you did or not it's like that uh, parable in the bible you know where the the guys are working in the field they they get hired to work in the field and then some other guys show up and they start working in the field and uh, they get paid the same amount. And I they, don't remember they get this pissed one. Pissed off, yeah, because they've been working longer. They yeah, were there yeah. first, and he's and then the owner of the field comes by and says, "Well, you, you not agree on that price? Like, yeah. That's what we're paying you." <laughs> well, it's not fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like Kickstarter. It's the Bible ju- was predicting Kickstarter. The Bible Kickstarter. There's uh, even different <laughs> DLC for the Bible too. You have to buy the uh, sequel to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the it? Bible too. The Bible too. <laughs> so, but back to the game. Yeah, we've gotten way off track here. So the game itself, though, is played, and each faction is very different and it revolves around area control that's what it is at the end of the day and if you have the most um pieces in an area you control that area unless and, you're the birds and you tie and, the, and there's all these gray areas like unless special but, rules yeah uh but in general that's how it works I and this card and you're you're using cards that are drawn from a central deck so there is a high degree of randomness in this game in a sense of there is dice chucking there are blind draws from a deck and it's basically imagine like a a, play, a, set, a deck of cards that have been shuffled in, but you're just worrying about diamonds, spades. You're, you don't care about the suits necessarily. There are wild cards, and you could theoretically get screwed just with terrible draws in this game. I don't think it's likely because you could, you should be able to respond to it. But I think a bird player can have an incredible start uh, based on their first two cards, or they can have a really much more constrained. Uh, yeah, beginning. I was going to say that like there are a lot of races out there that really don't care about what suit they start with. But yeah. if a bird doesn't start with a bird card, they're going to have a tough time right off the bat. They're going to have to play very conservatively yeah. and think about what they're doing. Because you remember that bird cards are wild, and a bird is set to a certain set of rules. So if you play a bird card as one of your actions, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you play a mouse card as, say, battle... Or build. You can you only need to. You need to be able to build yeah. or battle every single turn. You're, you're locking yourself into this, <laughs> and that's where the birds are very interesting because yeah. you, you're programming your turn, but everyone else can see you're programming your turn. And I think if you're playing the game properly, is that everyone should be thinking: Is it worth my time letting the birds do their thing? The the cat should always be looking and saying: No, I'm going to try to put them in the turmoil. That makes my yeah. life way easier. I like that the last couple of games it's been the onus that's been on the cat and not the bird to knock down because I don't think the bird really... I think the bird is kind of fine to ignore cats for a while. Yeah, they should coexist. It's just the vagabond should never care about any of them. They should just be getting points and you don't want to give too much to one person unless they get too powerful and they make it too difficult for you to actually win. The cats... I think the cats are probably maybe the trickiest group to play properly. Because yeah. the birds you can it, are fairly explosive in that you can really sort of like, well, I want lots of units. So I pick, like, I have got this leader. I put tons in the recruit, and I'm moving around here. Yeah. As long as you follow the rules. So then you put yourself on a clock. You're right? putting yourself you, on a as clock. As soon as you put two two recruit cards in, now yeah. you know how many moves you have left before. Yeah. But turmoil is not the end of the world. No. And the Woodland Alliance, we haven't played a ton with them. 
which is interesting because they, they seem to be like the real sort of like the seem, meat of the game. Yeah, but they seem to rush up victory points nicely. But in case you haven't realized, we like the game. It, yeah. It's really interesting. And it's, it's, it's really – is it – I'm trying to figure out the why it's so popular right now. What is it grabbed that – It's true. It's not super different, although it is an asymmetrical game and yeah. it's not – Star Wars Battle of Rebellion. Yeah, yeah. So we're getting the theme. So yeah. gameplay-wise, I think it's fairly simple. It's like a very stripped-down, asymmetrical war game that you don't have to have a degree in history to understand your motivations. You don't, you're not flipping through a manual, even though yeah. I feel like I was flipping we through the rules a lot. We should talk about the motivations, though, because yeah. I think that's important to understand without having played the game. So uh, as the Marquis de Cat. Uh, you are a foreign power that has arrived and spread out across the map, and you rule the forest. And the Iri is the former rules rulers of the forest who have now been relegated to a single square, crushed by the the weight of the bureaucracy and, and uh, the rules. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, as the woodland rebels, you're kind of this. Um, you just want some nice peaceful spot to live, I think, and you just want the cats to get out because they're destroying the forest. You're, you're, uh, you're naturalists. Yeah. And then the obviously the the vagabond is just looking out for himself, looking out for number one, the true <laughs> capitalist. Yeah, love him. So, and in this mix, you have everyone is supposed to be keeping a track on everyone else. No one player should be allowed to get out of control because everyone else should look at each other and say. Uh, have you noticed the cat has put down eight sawmills and yeah. is producing like crazy? <laughs> He's just chewing up the land. If Why you chop down the forest, you're screwed. Yeah. So it's it's fun because it plays quickly. It the rules are fairly clear. They got great player boards where you what what am I doing this turn? Oh, I look on the board right here. Everything yeah. I'm doing in a nice. There are a lot of, I think, gray areas or edge cases where I feel like you've got to flip through the, law, the book, the two books. They've got Learn to Play and The Rule of Law, which the, is... The Law of Root. The Law of Root. <laughs> and, um, they're just th- and because there are a couple of very distinct but specific um, splits or definitions and terminology, like fi- pieces and tokens are different from each other, but the average person is probably not accustomed to that, including myself, with like almost using them interchangeably at times. Yeah. But... Um, and just little things like, when can you do this? Oh, like, uh, when we played with Sam, she tried to replace her dominance card, but it required a look up yeah, into the yeah, rules. So that was really interesting because we'd never seen that before. And we yeah. can ask Harry, but I don't think anyone's ever tried a dominance. And I think that... Harry won, or one of his guests won on a dominance, but oh, I'm sorry. okay. There's one... This is a neat thing, too, in Root the game. didn't need to add this to the game. No. Root had a really good game, and then they were like, let's mix it up a bit. Yeah. Let's say, instead of... Everybody racing on a victory point track like every other game. You can draw and play a different card where once you have 10 victory points, you can say, well, if I control three my spots, I win. Yeah, did you... Because all the... Remember, keep in mind that all the map is split into different regions that are identified as being associated with a certain type of animal, which are the equivalent to the suits of the cards. And when you draw on your cards at the end of your turn, you pick up some of this as a dominance card. And like Joel was saying is that you can look at this and say... I'm feeling a little saucy. I've got great control here. Mix it up. Maybe the birds and the woodland alliance got into a scrape, and they're looking really weak this turn. Maybe I just did a great power sweep and just smoked a couple of spots. Maybe they just went in the turmoil last turn, or they're going in the turmoil this turn, and this is a perfect time to play this. And you can put this card out, and you say, no, I'm no longer chasing 30 points. 
I want, I'm saying if I control these locations at the end of my next turn, or at the beginning of my next turn, I win. Yeah. And I gotta say, that seems a lot harder for birds because they're set to the set rules that if you have not played only bird cards, all of a sudden you're limited by what your decree is and you could, you'd have to go into turmoil and come back. In but it's easier for you to control stuff at least. You don't True. remove things from the board. It's not like you lose control of the areas. So you could yeah. theoretically, and this is getting in the weeds a little bit here, but <laughs> if you can dissipate a dominance, you throw tons of move actions down in recruits, yes. except the loss of... of uh, your victory points because you don't care. As soon as you activate the dominance card, you're just going, okay, I, I am willing to r- throw the court over the balcony, but I will still hold on to these regions at the end. And God help you if you've got <laughs> the resources to stop me. So, yeah. And I think she, I think we didn't really realize when she first did it that she controlled four. I know I didn't. Spots. No, I, I got rid of. I was doing the one. I was thinking, okay, so Joel could clean this one up, and then I, oh, she's got three more. <laughs> it's yeah. like, that's crazy. Yeah, good honor, but I guess you know at that point I can either let her win or watch you win. <laughs> so it's kind of a king making aspect, but at the same time, if you throw down a dominance, I think you're kind of putting down the gauntlet to everyone else to say, yeah, come at me, right, and then. And then it becomes one of those things like you were talking about, I think, uh, Spartacus or something where maybe it wasn't Spartacus. Maybe it was, I um, can't remember, but one where everybody needs to work together against a certain thing, but maybe somebody's uh, secretly uh, doesn't care about it or something. And then so everybody needs to contribute to stopping that person. Archipelago. From, or, archipelago, that yeah. was the one. And everyone needed to contribute to stop that person from getting dominance and root. Yeah. Uh, but the one person who maybe contributes the least is going to get ahead. Yeah, and that's where the, you get in this balancing act and this or balancing act and this brinkmanship of. Yeah. So it, it's all it, it's it's this weird mix of you're assuming you're going to stop this particular uh, let's say stop Sam from winning from dominance, but you don't want to contribute too much because you're helping Joel who didn't contribute as much, maybe swoop in behind your back when you're not looking, and maybe the Vagabond is going to swoop in. So it's all about, but then you decide to pull back a bit so you don't contribute enough and Sam wins the game, and you're like, well, <laughs> that's too bad. Yeah, yeah I, I think I tried a little bit, a little too little too late to hit you and slow you down, but you had too many hammers or something. I just had too many goods. And so when the Vagabond gets booped in the head... Um, rather, you, the Vagabond can never be knocked off the map. You exhaust items, or you damage items until uh, you can't damage them anymore, and then you got to, if you have hammers, you can repair them, but if your hammers are damaged, then you got to go into the woods and basically just sit there all night fixing your stuff. And um, the, the Vagabond, I think, is, this is the first time playing him, and it was interesting because I found a very slow start, but it was like fairly steady points that are just going up. And you can be kind of limited by the items you get. You have to play around that to an extent. But by the end of the game, once you've got tons of items and you're just going through quests and quests and quests, and it's like, oh, somebody's next to me. Are they at war with me? Nah, okay. Here, I'll take another two points just by giving them cards, and hopefully they screw up somebody else too. But it, it's you got to be – I think everyone has to agree at some point when you look at the victory point tracks. Like, mm. Boop. Yeah, oh, you want to trade? Boop. Ah. Booped. Yeah, so – what what were your thoughts? This is the third game we played. It was really good. It was absolutely insane compared to the other two. I, th- I felt the other two were very linear. Everyone was working to get points. Everyone was very close to getting the points at the top. And then all of a sudden it just it was just one person just eh, barely got there first. Yeah. This one it was like um the spread was pretty big. The early turmoil put me way behind and then all of a sudden 
Marquita Cat, who was doing having a great game, but was probably wasn't producing enough wood, mm-hmm. um, decided to do this dominance where they had a really good chance at it, and all of a sudden it was like, well, I guess Joel and Jack are working together to stop it. Yeah. Except that Jack has a, a fifteen point lead at the start of it, so it was like, oh, we did it, we did it. Oh, oh I'll like, just go back to it. Yeah. But it was great. Like it was yeah. another game where we had a lot of fun, and this is the thing: is it's our third game, and we're still learning a lot about the game we haven't figured it out by any means Mm-mm. and it's getting into stuff too where i'm looking at some of the strategy and people are asking questions like what should i do how do i respond to this and in general people are complaining about the vagabond being too like i think pr- most people just leave it alone too long and yep. you don't realize all the points this person's getting and all the ability to generate more points down the line and that people have to agree to because it doesn't make the vagabond can make people go hostile by uh, attacking or removing their units or removing their pieces from the board. And even crazier is that once they do that, they get more points every time they remove more of them. And they have like an instant victory point button, basically. You can mm-hmm. turn over a crossbow and remove a warrior in that area. Boom, that's a victory point right there. And with their quests, oh, victory points. Oh, and the quest stack. Get plus one victory point per quest of this type you've already committed Ooh. or completed. So you start just, you're just steamrolling all these points. And if you're not careful as the other players, you've just let this other guy, and not that you can stop him too much from giving you things. Yeah. Um, but you can just, you've you got to beat him because unless he can fix his stuff and unless he, if you let him just play the game unmolested, you are basically letting the Vagabond player run away with it, I think. Yeah, and I think that's one of the downsides of that is that everyone's got goals in mind. Everyone's yeah. got their personal... There's so many actions you can do. Yeah, their personal success in mind that nobody really has a, a spare move or a spare time to yeah. just go punch this little raccoon in the face. Well, especially the, especially the the birds, you've got that programmed. So yeah. are you... are You, you want to build your roosts. You have to build your roosts because you said, I'm going to... I want to hit that raccoon real bad, yeah. but I got to start a fight over here to make room for it, or to because I said I was going to start a fight too. Yeah, and if you drop in a battle card and say fox or something, the the, raccoon, the vagabond could easily just, just not a, avoid uh, fox areas. See, right? I'll go somewhere else. Although the vagabond every turn is taking a risk by being in a square yeah. where there are opponents. Well, right? especially with the uh, the the cat, because if you're in the same place as the cat, they get three three actions minimum. Mm. Uh, that turn and they could theoretically use one of them to bop you on the head especially yeah. if they don't like you drop a bird for a bop drop a bird for a bop that'll <laughs> be the new uh... <laughs> you need to use your bird for a bop it's, it's standard <laughs> it's like viticulture selling your field you can't just let this raccoon get away with everything you bop them you do a bird for a bop <laughs> bird for a bop and and you know if you roll well too like it is a roll still but the the vagabond is limited by the amount of hits he can do based on the um, the swords he has. So yeah. I didn't have any swords for most of the game. I'd say about halfway through the game, and then I got one. I think I you built. So you I couldn't think you, actually hit. I could not hit. Huh. So uh, anyway, there's a lot to the game, and it's not super expensive. I think the the components are beautiful. The my criticism of the game is that um, I I wish the board stood out a bit more. There's yeah. there are parts of it where the even though they're outlined in white, they're kind of small. I wish they were, like, boxed, like yeah. a black background to them or and something. that's the thing. They went for a theme that looks very natural, and it does. Yeah, it's got very muted fall color tones to it. Exactly. But on the Not on muted. the flip side, it's hard to tell where things are. Yeah, so the what I was referring to, by the way, were the, the symbols indicating what the clearings are. Because there are times you're looking at it, and I'm kind of squinting a little bit, thinking, like, what is this again? Oh, okay. And maybe the more you play the game, the more you get used to this as well. Yeah, and then on the other side, which is a huge plus to me, is that double-sided boards. It's not just the same Very thing. Cool. 
you've got winter root and the 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 river that flows through the center is considered to be frozen and now you can move i think it acts as like a bridge between regions connecting yep. that that part there and you also randomize the the types of the clearings and then you flip them all up and now you've got a totally different game on your hands there and i think you could randomize the clearings in the the base one too if you wanted to but i don't know long story short joel what would you give root uh in a totally base 10 based review. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of have a feeling that Root is going to kind of have a, a quick upspring and then probably fall off to something else pretty quickly. I, I don't think like it's going to have five right now. Which yeah, is... exactly. I'm not, I, I'm not going to say it has the staying power of something like, uh, like Gloomhaven or Scythe. It's not going to, it's not going to blow people away. I would give it, um, seven hammers out of uh, nine right now like I, I would give it a pretty good rating yeah and i think for what it tried to accomplish which is very challenging which is create rules that work that aren't broken yeah. for an asymmetrical game well, it's the, super tough they did it and that was the issue because the previous right now is number one on the hotness by the way uh, and it's sitting at 8.5 yeah um on board game geek the so it's published by leader games and the last thing of note that Leader Games, as far as I know, put out was Vast, Crystal Cavern, hmm. uh, which someone I know has, I haven't played it yet, but was another asymmetrical game involving someone playing a, a dragon, someone playing a cave, someone playing a knight, someone playing a goblin, someone playing uh, some other stuff. And it was all about everyone doing different things, all trying to yeah. win the game in their own way. I think, based on what I heard, was Vast failed because A, the game wasn't tight enough, and B... The races are, or the roles were also different, and nobody really wanted to, or nobody could figure out what the other person was doing. You're too obsessed with trying <laughs> yeah, to figure yeah. out your own thing. Yeah, too much going on. For There's yourself. too much going on. Then it's like you're doing this, and then the goblin does something crazy. It's like, well, I didn't know you could do that. Well, it says right here on my sheet. It's like, and then the cave does something. Well, I didn't know you could do that. Which kind of sounds cool, but it bears like a lot of repeat plays. And how do you get a repeat play in? And this is something that gets into when more. When you have a bad experience. When you have a bad experience. Yeah. And like, how many good games or games you like have you a played and seen like the light drain from people's eyes mm. as they play it <laughs> yeah. and you just think oh i done goofed or you think i can't risk it the game's too good and i think i was talking about this with john k maybe was that you don't want to risk possibly introducing this game right now and you're looking for perfect perfect circumstances to teach the game or introduce it you don't want to risk losing it yeah that uh, interview with, with john was really good actually it was, well thank you john <laughs> it's a lot of fun to just hear uh, game after game pop up that you know we really want to play or that we've yeah. had a lot of interest in. Just to hear somebody that we've not talked about this at all is like these are this is popping up organically. All this interest yeah. all around the world. The buzz is real, yeah. And, and I think with Root, I haven't heard anyone out, totally like outside the hobby mention it. Yeah. But I, I think it's a matter of time before you, it's, you start to hear people talk about something like this because it, it gets into the whole theme and mechanics and mechanically it's a it's it can be it's fairly dry if you think about it but yeah. thematically is what pulls you in it's it's and then the gameplay it's i'm not saying it's it's not fun but if you really reduce it to what it is like okay i built this and i did that and then i just came went into that spot yeah and then it, and I think the work, the theme worked today because I don't think Sam would have played if it wasn't for all these cute little woodly creatures. And that's what I'm getting at is that how yeah. many people would – and maybe you're pushing away the old grognards who are mm, – this is not – clearly not Hitler <laughs> 1941 <laughs> uh, campaign. Uh, I don't have any tanks. I don't have any tanks. But it, it's still – at the end of the day, it's still 
it's a cute game that I think I don't I this is a crazy baseline. I I would not be able to teach my parents this game. Yeah. But I would be able to introduce this to other people that maybe their eyes would just like like I was saying, the light would drain from them if I put this as something else that it themed differently versus this, which is like, Oh, this is cute. What am I doing? Oh, that's fun, that's nice. But it's still mean. It is an extraordinarily mean game <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah. Hmm. Root. Give it a shot. Yep. Look into it. Um, I think you're out of luck buying it right now. We're going to get some stickers printed. They're going to say Android's Dungeon Approved. Android's Dungeon Approved. Uh, you could try to beg Harry to sell his copy one more time to someone else. <laughs> yeah, resell it. <laughs> if, you're not, if you're open for a, an opened copy of Go, no. Yeah. I think I'm keeping it. All right. We'll be back after this. Stay tuned. One, two, three. Michigan 20 gauge You got all liquor up on that roadhouse corn Put a hole in the hood of a yellow COVID A hole in the hood of a yellow COVID He bought a second hand over from a Cuban Chinese And dyed his hair in the bathroom of a Texaco Pistol in 
sat you down to Kingfish Rose, snuggled in a brand new pair of alligator shoes. With a fine man's wrinkled in a long yellow hair. Well, they tied her to a tree with a skinny millionaire. Tied her to a tree with a skinny millionaire. I said, John, John, he's long. Never kiss a gun street girl again. I said, John, John, he's long gone. Gone to Indiana, he never coming home. I said, John, John, he's long gone. Gone to Indiana, he never coming Ten percent off of awesomeness would not happen because this is Tom Waits. This is hundred percent awesomeness. Uh, Tom Waits, Gun Street Girl from nineteen eighty five, Rain Dogs. Rain Dogs. How much Tom Waits do you think we've played on the show? Uh, I think statistically, I, I don't know. I'm, I think we've. I can think of maybe three or four other times we've played it, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, how many Nick Cave songs we played? How many? <laughs> Uh, I think it, it's up there with the favorites, show favorites. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Gun Street Girl, I don't know what it's about. I haven't looked up the lyrics. I imagine it's about a girl living on a street made out of guns, and you have to walk carefully or else they blow your hands off I don't yeah. know, or your feet. Yeah, she's from Gun Street. Uh, or do they just make a lot of guns there and it's a nickname? It just happens to be the name of the street, you know? No. Like, I live on Easton Guns. So <laughs> down from, <laughs> from Easton. Uh, <laughs> machete. Machete. <laughs> machete Avenue, I don't know. Um, coming into this uh, discussion, uh, we were just talking again about themes and root, and I just wanted to quickly talk about another game Joel was playing recently that um, kind of reminded me of the the example of how to theme stuff. But you played Dice Forge, is that yeah, Dice, Dice Forge. Forge, and you played it two player. And what were your thoughts? Because I don't want to dwell on this too long, but this is kind of we in the past we've talked about, and I've I've complained a fair bit about games that should not be played two player, even though it says two player. Um, and maybe the uh, the creation of the two-player label for it makes it more accessible, but it's almost so underwhelming an experience that you'd wonder why anyone would ever play this uh, two-player. Yeah. Well, I think Dice Forge could have won... Uh, no, I won't go that far. Dice Forge could have been nominated in Innovative Game of the Award in mm-hmm. several game awards because... In such a tired market where things like uh, categories of games have just been repeated endlessly, Mm -hmm. uh, it came up with something new, which was instead of uh, building a deck, you build a a dice. Mm -hmm. So you you take the face off your dice and you put on new faces and you improve your dice, change your probabilities, and also improve um, the results on those die faces. And and it's very intuitive in the sense of like, you just even, is there a tool that comes with it? Yeah, yeah. Well, you use the other pieces. Oh, yeah, you use the other pieces and they just pop off and you just and it's very satisfying because you yeah. it's like a it's like deck building 
with dice because you're replacing what's on your your dice, the bad ones, with better yeah. things. I'm glad you mentioned that because the components are good, and it could have also won the award for best organized box because the box has a sheet that goes over your like little temple, which says tells you exactly where everything needs to be, yeah. and it also comes with so like critical. a nice canvas rubber band that goes over the edge of that to hold everything in place so that when you take anything out of the box yeah you're ready to go and it's giving you card slots separated by moon and fire and everything and and the dice are all ready to go every single die has its own spot yeah in the box it's a beautiful box but let's get down to two players so in the regular game everybody rolls uh and then the person whose turn it is gets to use their additional actions to purchase uh, better die faces or cards that'll give them in-game benefits or victory points. It's a race to the most victory points in nine to ten rounds, depending on how many players. Uh, I think uh, you go ten rounds on three-player games. Uh, so basically, you have nine turns to buy a combination of dice or cards in order to have more victory points than anyone else. Now, this is the kind of game which functions fairly well three or four player. But when you play two-player, they had to come up kind of, you know, when a game publishes, it wants to be accessible. And one of those things is uh, couples and other two-player groups yeah. who are like, well, can I play this? Yeah, yeah. And so they want it to be a two-player game. But sometimes, and this isn't always the case, sometimes games run fine two-player Absolutely. and three-player and four-player and even five-player. Yep. Um, usually there's a certain point in that player camp where it runs the best. There's a sweet spot. Exactly. And even Board Game Geek, if you look up their web, on their website, they have, uh, they'll say uh, two to four players at the top, and then the community will also say, how many players does this play? And then they'll say best at, and in this case, yeah. Dice Forge is saying best at four, according to the community. Yeah, and I'd agree with that. Um, two player, uh, they've kind of thrown in some additional rules, and sometimes games will really think about this and put in some additional facts or or mitigate other things but in this one it feels kind of half-hearted so basically in a two-player dice forge what you do is each player rolls twice on everybody's turn so which means you just get a lot more resources because you need to purchase more frequently but what ends up happening is that you get a lot of resources so overall would you recommend dice forge two-player uh, there is an off chance that we were just lucky with our rolls, but it seems to me that Dice Forge 2-player has so many options and you can basically buy anything. So no, I wouldn't recommend it. I find mostly that with some games you kind of get a feel immediately when you start playing 2-player that it's like, oh, well, th- this isn't the best, but <laughs> but I've learned how to play the game. And that's the key thing so that you can sit there and say next time you're sitting there and you're like, oh, what do you, can, can you want to play Dice Forge? Okay, good. I know how to play it, so I can teach this to three or four people. Yeah, and that's that's the kind of the situation that Jack and I both find ourselves in, is that it's very easy to find one other person to play the game with you, especially when they live with you. <laughs> yeah, and that's why, like, I, if somebody says two-player, it plays great. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Where? Where can I buy it? Money. Um, shut up and take my money. Shut up and take my money. And there are games that are, like, and I'm finding more and more games that are designed specifically for two-players. And ironically, I don't own the, the, uh, the one gigantic... Uh, Uwe, Uwe game, uh, Fields of Arl, which is specifically two oh, players. Really? But I don't hear anybody talk about it ever. It's but I don't feel people talk about anything except Feast for Odin. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Dice War. Just wanted to quickly bring it up because quickly slam it down. Really slam it down. And Boo! the the other thing, then we didn't. 
I guess we, no. I'll save that for the end. But um, you got to. Did we get to talk about Twilight Struggle at all? No. Yeah. Because I feel like we should have a quick little chat about that. Because going back to because you even brought it up earlier in the show. Yeah. Uh, mentioned uh, a sequel to Twilight Struggle, <laughs> which I think there is one coming out. It's like uh, I think. Well, it's, no, there is a Gulf War one. That's the one I was uh, slamming because I think it wasn't very popular. It's not. It's the Gulf War one isn't Twilight Struggle. It's more of just a GMT card-based war uh, game. But I think a, a more tried and true sequel is coming out. I, I think I linked it to you a little while ago. But I think it's supposed to take place in the Great Game, like it's uh, before. Um, Cold War, so it's oh, going to okay, be like pre World yeah. War Two, pre yep. World War World War One, perhaps. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. But same era as diplomacy. Yeah, maybe that it'll be like a weird diplomacy yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> variant of sorts. But tell us about Twilight Struggle and uh, why uh, you're even talking about it. So Jack is a veteran of Twilight Struggle. That's pushing uh, it, but all right. <laughs> TMT or whoever, whoever is that's publishing it right now, as far as uh, online goes because um, it is on Steam, uh, has put on a really good sale, and, and Jack was so generous as to purchase the game for me. All $5. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was back home uh, visiting my parents, so I had a, a lot of time on my hands. And so I sat around with a whole bunch of kids running around me, trying to climb up on me, <laughs> and I was sitting on my laptop trying to play. <laughs> I didn't realize story. those were the uh, conditions. <laughs> now, the game does come with a tutorial, to be fair, and yeah. it does teach you all the rules really well. Yeah. And in fact, there's also like a little question mark on the left side, the help section, which is super necessary. Oh, yeah. Because to pick up the rule book of Twilight Struggle and to try to learn it by yourself would be absolutely impossible or a nightmare. It would be, you'd have to, unless you had the physical copy in front of you and you could focus, there aren't Rugrats uh, climbing all over you. And uh, it, it's it's a big game, but it's actually super simple when once you get down to it because you just have cards. Yep. You play the card. Do you take the event? No. Okay. You take the ops. Okay. And then... Oh, you play a card, and oh, what have you done? You've given three resources to somebody else in another area that you didn't know. But there's a lot. There's there's subtleties going on to the game. In the other there's in the a, in the game text. There's tons going on in the game, but the actual mechanics themselves are very simple. Even though I will admit that I am not totally clear on how the how the uh, the uh, realigning works and yeah. how different things affect it, and because I find that's where the 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 interface of the game, the digital version kind of fails me because I'm looking at the side. There's these different, I guess it's giving me the probabilities. Like if I roll these, that's the best I can get. But yeah. why did you need to give me that information sucking up like, half the screen? Just FYI, this is, you're basically screwed. Yeah. It, it's, you can look at it and you think, oh, okay, well, why am I trying this in this case? But anyway, yeah. it's a cold. At least there's a back button. <laughs> there is a back button, which is essential. It's super essential in all these games. Most of the time yeah. I'm making some boneheaded mistake that I don't realize what I'm doing, but the um, it's a simulation of the Cold War, starting post World War II up till um, the end of the Cold War historically. And you go through these decks of cards, and there's three different eras. There's early, mid, and late war, and they each have different uh, historically thematic events related to it. And what happens is you drop your you've got a hand of cards in front of you, and one player plays USSR, the other player plays the United States, and the cards are. Uh, I'd say majority are of them of them are either Russia or the United States. And there are a couple of neutral cards you can play as well. But if you play a card, and let's say I'm the United States, and I play a U.S. card, I have the option to take the text on the card or the event. And because these events are all historically related, they can be things like, um, like uh, uh, the foundation of NATO. Yeah. And when I do that, a whole bunch of things happens on the board. 
and that reflects the event card, and the card's gone yeah. if it's been replaced. But if I was playing Russia, for example, I'm not allowed to form NATO <laughs> as Russia. It doesn't make any sense. Why would I help NATO? Yeah. Why would I do this? I make the Warsaw Pact. Uh, you can. There is the, uh, the there is the Warsaw Pact that you can do. But if I have the NATO card in my hand, I have a couple of options, and one of which is that I can play it for its operation points. And each card has a certain value to them, and that lets you do certain things. Uh, so NATO is a big event, and if you're crazy enough as the Soviet Union to play it for its ops, as opposed to space racing it or something, which gets into something else entirely, you are the guard, card goes in the discard pile, which means it can be drawn by your opponent later on, but you get to take those points and do things like, I'm going to move uh, influence over here, I'm going to try to coup over here, I'm going to try to realign these uh, uh, U.S.-aligned states in this way. So... But another thing you didn't mention is every time you play for the ops points an opponent's card, they get their the event. event triggers. Yeah. So I screwed that up even in that description there. Yeah. So even if I play NATO for its ops points as the USSR, Joel gets NATO formed, and yeah. I've just like, what did I do? <laughs> did so you, I really need those four? So there's a scenario maybe like, for example, the Cuban Missile Crisis, where yeah. you could play the ops card for two points, and you might pick where those go. That's great. But then all of a sudden your opponent is building three units in cuba yeah right. and this is where and you're it's an area control game at the end of the day so you have these scoring cards where it says each region and you have to play these cards at some point in your turn theoretically you could turn one i think you can headline uh, a scoring card yep. too which means every at the beginning of every turn or round excuse me you put down i think they call them turns in the game though you put down a card and your opponent puts down a card and it's called the headlines in the newspaper and you flip them up and you resolve the events there are no operation points so you're trying to there's Europe scoring, there's Middle Eastern scoring, there's Asia, South America, Central America, Southeast so Asia. Africa. Yeah, there's all these regions that yeah. you're trying to vie for. So you're looking at Joel and he's like, I like that they just threw Canada into Europe just to yeah, because they were like, where are we going to put Canada? There's no North America. Uh, give it Europe. <laughs> it's fine, close enough. Um, colony. So you're you're trying to do all these things. And you're looking at your opponent and seeing they're re- they're investing heavily in Asia. This, uh, this yeah, looks like they probably have an Asia score. And psych, right? it's Africa. No, yeah. it's, who knows? But yeah, you can meta game it for sure. Yeah. Here's the thing, Jack. I think I feel like the game. And just to put the game into context, yeah. 2005 it was released, and it was the king of board game geek for ages. I mean, I want to say it was the king for maybe. Uh, Seven years. I mean, I don't know how long the website's been out. Yeah. But it was up until like 2016, mid 2016, 2017, where it started getting taken over by Pandemic Survival. And now I think Board Game, or sorry, uh, now Gloomhaven. But it's still up there in the top 10. And it has the most respect. And I think that's probably because the people that aren't ready to pick up a GMT game, like a heavy, heavy game like Mm -hmm. this aren't reviewing it right like you don't have uh some mom and her five-year-old kid it's coming along and be like oh. it's number five overall in the okay. on board game down to right five now. yeah but it was the king for a while and yeah. you know there is that cult of the new going on yeah oh, absolutely and but cult of the new it, it, it's exactly it twilight struggles one of these legendary games that yeah. you like you're saying you're a mom walking by the store with a little munchkin isn't saying, oh, ooh, look at this, a simulation of World War II with cards. That sounds fun. <laughs> like, no. It, they're, they're, they're walking by and they're picking up Root because it's got animals yeah. on it. And in this one, it's, it, it is a game that has been around for long enough that people, there are tournaments of it. There are pages of strategies and people, there's, people want to play this game in a competitive setting, which I think is very rare in board games. Yeah, the fact I think that that's 
that's really where I'm at now is that I have probably hours of reading to do before I even try to play that computer again. Because, the, again, the AI only has one difficulty. <laughs> and, which is bizarre. And apparently the AI stinks. It's all over the place. People oh, yeah. in turn, people are saying if you get the right draw, you could theoretically win turn one with a Europe scoring. In, oh, really? Because uh, the Russia... Because it'll sh- just ignore the fact that you're trying to get uh, control? It, it doesn't respond adequately because it's just... Uh, it's meant for... It's a mobile... Here's, it's a mobile port that's been brought to... Uh, mobile port. It's a mobile game that's ported to the PC, and it shows because there's a lot of wasted space, and it's not the cl- it's kind of fairly clunky looking interface with big buttons designed for your fat fingers to touch. Yeah. So it's not elegant, but it works. Damn it! And considering that all the bad mobile uh, mobile to PC ports that exist out there, like well, the Chrono that, Trigger, yeah. there's always that online button. But I don't think I'm going to be touching that for a while. I am. I don't want to get yelled at by yeah. somebody, somebody playing Twilight Star. Anyway, so it's there. Um, it's it's one of those games that I think when we when I played it first with Kayla that we I I ended up nuking the world by accident on my turn so yep. I I because there's DefCon levels so I have done that <laughs> and it's like the game warns you the digital one tells you not to do this and like it's saying you gotta don't do it in this case I just I think it threw a combination of bad hand draws I DefCon suicided is what it was I think it was triggered by a bear trap in my case you know what that really? is where the bear trap is played by the Americans yeah. and it forces you to play a card on the next turn or discard a card. And I think what happened was, um, so the bear trap for them a is like card that triggered an event, which lowered the DEFCON level. So it actually triggered the event. Yeah. I thought it was just, you got a lot, you lost the card. No, nope, because the event, if it, I think if the event is the enemy event, it still happens. It's still, you can't just happen get burned. Turn, Interesting. So. Yeah. Yeah. So there's yeah. ways like, there are ways like, Oh, take cover, duck and cover, duck and cover. Yeah. Oh, you duck. And- <laughs> that was Classic. what it was. And there's different cards where it's like, oh, there's things like, oh, the um, there's the Olympics cards, whereas the player, yep. you're, you have the option to boycott the Olympics, so you you can put your opponent into, like, you can squeeze them in a death grip because, oh, you're about to win the game. if So they can come to the Olympics and give you victory points, or they can avoid or boycott the Olympics and lower the DEFCON. Oh, my God, the DEFCON's already at <laughs> two. Yeah. This, I can't let this and happen. that's the other thing. If it's at three and you play that... Uh, all of a sudden, duck and covers two, isn't it? Or they're is not it doing two? any coups that. Time. Oh yeah, so it drops the areas. Where... Look, people, <laughs> <laughs> it's an incredible game. Yeah. It's it's functionality. Like we talk about uh, board games being dry and dead. Um, this is completely different from anything I've ever played. And I know that you say that GMT games follow this theme fairly strangely, but like let's 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 take a step <clears throat> back for a second and say, okay, so. Uh, Root is kind of cool in that it gives you two functions for a card. That's yeah. really cool. Um, <laughs> uh, Twilight Struggle says that's cute, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it gives you five. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it and it and changes. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah. Although Root does have the items on the bottom of the cards too, and the, the different yeah. passive abilities that I think we kind of glossed over. But that's really pick up the game and figure it out yourself. But it's craft and suit. That's yeah, yeah. It, it's something else, and it really is. As soon as you play it, I think it does open up your, it opens up your imagination to the possibilities of like how how powerful just like cards. Yeah. And but it also, it's not just the card game; it's a board as well that you're affecting the board state. So yeah, and it must have taken a lot of work to figure out how that could be balanced, right? As far as what numbers, like the Palestine, I don't know how it could be a challenge uh, or a risk one, so that every time you try to coup Palestine. Uh, you need you just need the result of two in order to do it. I don't even remember this. Like it's there are some th- I I think there I guarantee if you go online there are people complaining about certain things. Yeah, they are saying, and that's why I think 
as good as Twilight Struggle is, there are people saying between Bear Trap and Quagmire, those are two cards that I think if you ask the average person online what oh, should I play Twilight? Yeah, do it. Throw out those two cards though, because they're yeah. kind of this weird random element. Even though the computer defeated it instantly when I played against them. I, I played it as like <laughs> I'm headlining the old Quagmire. And then it's just like, oh, it did it no problem first yeah. shot. That was a fun use of my time, but um, another thing too is that you were saying that you found the AI to be 